0: Thank you Well good morning everyone Well I want to share with you a story today that is ridiculous And just so you know in case you're old school Ridiculous means good See it's one of those words that can have like an opposite meaning Like bad Remember when bad used to actually mean bad And now bad means good Man, I'd have been all confused growing up. Mom would say, you're bad. And I'd be like, thanks, mom. Sick is the same thing. When somebody used to say you were sick, it was because you just puked on them. But now they say you're sick and you're like, I know, right? Ridiculous is the same way. Ridiculous used to mean outlandish in a negative way. But now if something is really good. It's ridiculous. And today I'm going to share with you a story of ridiculous faith. This is a story of one of the great prophets of the Old Testament. A prophet was a person chosen by God to speak on his behalf, to help guide the people of Israel. And the prophet we're going to talk about today was named Elisha. Now, Elisha is not to be confused with a better-known prophet of the Old Testament named Elijah. Elijah was the one taken up in a windstorm to heaven amid fiery horses and a chariot. Hopefully you've read that. Elijah was also the one that appeared with Moses on the mountaintop during the transfiguration of Jesus that's recorded in the New Testament. You should read it if you're unfamiliar with it because it's a sick story. So Elijah and Elisha are two different people. They're two different prophets, although their stories connect. You see, Elisha was the prophet God chose as the successor To Elijah. So Elisha was mentored by Elijah. He was the disciple of Elijah. And Elisha wanted to be like Elijah. He was even ridiculous enough to ask for a double portion of God's anointing. And God, in his sovereign will, gave Elisha a double portion of this Anointing, And Elisha went on to perform more miracles than anyone in the Bible with the exception of Jesus. And if you study the Old Testament stories of both prophets, you'll see Elisha performed 28 miracles to Elijah's 14. I mean, it was truly a double portion of anointing that he received from God. This was a guy that once parted the Jordan River. Another time he filled a valley with water and he saved three kings and their armies from dying of thirst. He once multiplied jars of oil so a poor widow could make money to save her sons from being sold as slaves for a debt that she owed. He multiplied bread to feed a hundred men. He once brought a dead boy back to life. Heck, he was dead when he performed his last recorded miracle. There was a guy being buried oh, my when a band of raiders came upon them. So the family threw the body of the man into Elisha's tomb. And when his body touched Elisha's bones, the guy came back to life. But I think my favorite miracle that he performed, and I don't want to read it to you because it's it's the one most near and dear to my heart. It's recorded in 2 Kings chapter 2. And starting at verse 23, it says, From there Elisha went up to Bethel. As he was walking along the road, some youths came out of the town and jeered at him. Go on up, you bald head, they said. Go on up, you bald head. He turned around, looked at them, and caused a curse on them in the name of the Lord. Then two bears came out of the woods and mauled 42 of the youths. That's in the Bible. I'm not making this stuff up. You should never make fun of a guy with a bald head or a bald spot. Or thinning hair, because you never know how much faith they have or how close a bear might be. But seriously, it's unfortunate that more people aren't familiar with Elisha and who he was and all that he did. I mean, he was a prophet in a very crucial time period in history. Israel was suffering from war and famine, they were on the verge of total collapse, and God sent him to bring guidance. And comfort and courage to the people in distress. Man, he counseled everyone from kings to widows. And he did it with equal grace. Elisha is truly one of the greatest and most important people in all of the Bible. All interesting stuff. But what I want to talk about today is how it all began for him. And you're going to see, before he was bold, possibly before he was bald, I don't know, but before he was bold, for sure, before he was daring, before he was full of miraculous power being used by God in such incredible ways, he was just an ordinary guy. And I want to show you that the choices he made are the same choices we have the opportunity to make that lead to a life of ridiculous faith so today's scripture it is found in 1 Kings chapter 19 verses 19 through 21 it's a short passage And I'm just going to begin by reading it to you. So so Elijah went from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat. He was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the 12th pair. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said, and then I will come with you. Go back, Elijah replied. What have I done to you? So Elisha left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people and they ate. Then he set out to follow Elijah and became his attendant. So it sounds kind of like a ridiculous story. But this is how it all began for Elisha. And in this scripture that I just read are two important decisions that were made that changed the course of his life. Two things he did that kick-started the faith Kickstarted this faith that led to the miracles, that led to the prophecies, that led to Elisha being used by God in such powerful ways. And we're going to break this scripture down. I'm going to unpack it a little for you this morning. I'm going to pull these two decisions out as we get to them. And we're going to learn by his example how we too can lead a life of ridiculous faith just like Elisha. So let's go through this. Back to the beginning. So Elijah went from there. There being a mountaintop where God whispered to him and told him that he had plans for this gentleman named Elisha. So God told Elijah to go find him. So Elijah went from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat. He was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen and he himself was driving the 12th pair. So he found him. He was at work. He was hard at work. Elisha was at work when he receives the call of God. It said he was plowing the field, which is a great reminder that the call of God can come at any time, whether you're at school, whether you're at work, wherever, whenever. And something that I found interesting as I studied this was How many great people in the Bible were called by God only after they had demonstrated an ability and a willingness to work? Think about it. Moses was a sheep herder. David was in the same profession. Peter was in the fishing industry. He was casting nets. He was pulling them in. Paul was in the trade of making tents. Heck, Jesus was a carpenter. I mean, there is much to be said about a person that works hard in life. Besides a paycheck, they gain faithfulness and they gain loyalty. And those are the key traits that God uses in people. Now hear me because I'm not knocking that person that's struggling to find a job, and I'm certainly not talking about those who are not capable of work. I'm simply saying God rarely called lazy people to do great things for him. So God called Elisha, this farmer, and scripture says, Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. His cloak is his covering. Think of it as a cape. It's the mark of a prophet. It symbolized the call of God. And Elijah, he takes it off and he puts it over Elisha. He's basically saying, as God has called me and has been working through me, now God is calling you, Elisha. Then the Bible says, Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. So instantly, he makes this decision that he's going to follow Elijah. And what's ridiculous here, he doesn't even know the details. I mean, he has no idea what he's getting into. He just knows God is calling him to do something and he obeys immediately. And that's the first choice that I'm pulling out of this scripture. To have ridiculous faith like Elisha, you must obey even when you don't understand. You obey even when you don't understand. Proverbs 3 verse 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. You see, when God calls us to do something, we don't have to understand all the details to obey immediately. I mean, you and I, we want details. But I think God's looking down, he's saying, you can't handle the details. He's saying, if I showed you everything, you wouldn't show up. So I'm just going to show you the next step that you need to take. That's why I think God is often strategically vague in his directions. He's often guiding us with just one word. Sometimes one word is all God gives, and that needs to be enough to go on. And it happened all throughout the Bible. Moses, go. Abraham, go. Jesus walking on water. He looks at Peter. He gives him one word. Come. Peter steps out of the boat. Walks on the water. To have ridiculous faith, you don't have to understand fully to obey immediately. And I imagine this is happening in a lot of your lives right now. Maybe maybe you're struggling right now. Maybe you're struggling in... Your marriage. And for whatever, for whatever reason, you're not happy anymore. It's not, it's not what it once was. It's not all that you thought it would be. It's not all that you thought it could be. And you're thinking about giving up and you're thinking about throwing in the towel. And God's given you one word, stay. That's the next step. And that one word needs to be enough to go on. Maybe some of you are in a relationship. It's not a good relationship. You're not being treated the way you deserve to be treated. And here's a newsflash for you. If someone doesn't respect and honor you while you're dating, they're not going to do it when you get married. And if your relationship with someone is hindering your relationship with God, this is not the person God is calling you to marry. This person is not a part of God's plan for your life, and you know it. And your words get. Some of you may have a health situation. Doesn't look good. Or maybe it's for someone that you love, and God's given you one word, and it's trust, and you need to be able to hang on to that word. You obey even when you don't understand. See, like Moses, like Abraham, like Peter, man, God wants to do something incredible with you, and he has this amazing plan. He has this amazing path laid out. You don't know the details, but he's showing you the next steps that you need to take. Proverbs 16 verse 9 says, we can make our plans, but the Lord determines our steps. Elisha, he doesn't know the details, He doesn't know what's in store for him. He just knows that God is calling him to do something. So his response is immediate. His only request, let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said, and then I will come with you. Which... I mean, it sounds like a reasonable request to me, but notice that Elijah is taken back a little by it. Go back, Elijah replied. What have I done to you? So he's wanting him to follow him now. He's like, you already said yes. You already agreed. Let's go. Because he knows that hesitation often turns into a change of mind. Think of it like an, like an intervention. When you have someone and they're struggling with drugs or alcohol, so they have their plan, and you get people that make that person realize that there is a better plan. But the secret to a successful intervention is that the person goes to the treatment facility Right now. I mean, you've already got their bags packed for them. If they say, I'll go in the morning, or they say, I'll go Monday, they ain't going. Because they start to think about it. They start to think about it. They begin to rationalize things. They will start to second guess their decision. I mean, that's how this stuff happens. There's something about obeying immediately where it doesn't happen. Take, for instance, me. So I get off work. If I don't have something to do that particular evening, like mow or a church event, I'll often think I should go work out. I mean, I pay for a gym membership. At any time fitness, but there's never any time that I go. But I'll think, I got some free time, let's do this. But let me just sit on the couch for just a minute and let me relax. So I sat down, I'll put on YouTube for a few minutes, I'll watch some funny dog videos or some Karens going crazy. And then I start thinking, why need a snack? So I'll grab some potato chips, root beer. Next thing you know, an hour's passed. And guess what? Chubby doesn't make it to the gym. Chubby doesn't make it off the couch. I mean, there's something about hesitating, not doing something immediately. Or it doesn't get done. Things with God are the same way. I mean, how many times have you decided, I'm going to start reading my Bible regularly. I'm going to start making prayer a priority. And then weeks pass. And you find you aren't doing either. Instead of doing it, you hesitated. And hesitation often becomes a change of mind. So Elijah is not wanting him to go back to the house because he's worried that he might change his mind. He might get talked out of it if he goes back or he may see what he's giving up instead of what he's gaining and he might think twice about it. But what Elijah didn't realize was that Elisha's request was not an act of hesitation. In fact, he is so set on being obedient that he does something extraordinary. Listen to verse 21. It says, So Elisha left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people, and they ate. So this is the second decision I want to talk about. This is the next choice that I want to pull out of this story. To have ridiculous faith like Elisha, you have to let go of your plan to make way for God's plan. You let go of your plan to make way for God's plan. You know, sometimes our plan doesn't always line up with someone else's plan. A lion woke up one morning feeling really rowdy and mean. He went out, he cornered a small monkey, and he roared, Who's the mightiest of all jungle animals? The trembling monkey answered, y- You are a mighty lion. Well, later the lion confronted an ox and fiercely bellowed, "'Who's the mightiest of all jungle animals?' And the terrified ox stammered. He said, "'Oh, great lion, you you are the mightiest animal in the jungle.'" On a roll now, the lion swaggered up to an elephant and roared, "'Who's the mightiest of all jungle animals?' And fast as lightning, the elephant snatched up the lion with his trunk and slammed him against a tree a dozen times." leaving the lion feeling as if he had been ran over by a safari wagon. The elephant then stomped on the lion until he looked like a corn tortilla, and then he ambled away. lion let out a moan of pain, lifted his head weakly, and hollered at the elephant. Just because you don't know the answer, you don't have to get so mad about it. They weren't on the same wavelength. But you see, we have a tendency at times to think just like that. It's all about me, mighty me, and my mighty plan. And then God swoops down and says, listen, mighty lion, I know your plans, but I have something different for you. I have something better for you. I have something bigger for you. But in order to do it, you got to let go of your plans of being the king of your jungle. You see, the people God uses the most are the ones that hold on to things the least. And to have ridiculous faith, we have to be willing to let go of our plans So we're able to grab a hold of God's plans. We're releasing what we have so we're able to pick up something from God. But this is tough sometimes because we have some pretty good plans. And we have worked hard at times to implement our plans and then god comes along and he calls us to change our plans see this is what happened to elisha elisha had some pretty good plans and those plans seem to be working out pretty well for his life because the truth is elisha was rich i mean scripture told us he's got at least 24 oxen He's driving the last pair, which means he has servants which are plowing with the other 11. He lives in Abel-Meholah, which was known as the breadbasket of Israel, this little fertile area right along the Jordan River. The best land all of Israel, like the top neighborhood. It would be like living in Geist around here. So he lives in the best possible place. He's got land. He's got oxen. He's got servants. He's rich. Which is why I'm guessing Elijah was a little worried about him going back. Looking around and thinking, yeah, I don't know. I got it pretty good right here. But Elijah underestimated Elisha's faith Elijah or Elisha was so set on being obedient he not only let go of his plans he completely got rid of his plans he killed the oxen he then burned his plow i mean these were the animals and this was the equipment that he used to implement his plan this was his livelihood it's almost like he's saying, I'm burning plan B. There is no plan B anymore. There's only plan A, and plan A is obey God. Man, he got rid of his plans. He knew. He knew God was calling him to do something different. That God was calling him to be something different. And he was making sure. There was nothing that was going to stand in the way of it. Man, it's no wonder that God did such amazing things with this guy. I mean, this was a man that was willing to do whatever it took to follow God. I mean, he had a good life. But God was calling him to something greater. And in order to achieve that, he had to show some faith. And in order for us to do what God's calling us to do, for us to be what God is calling us to be, we have to show some faith as well. God loves to see our faith. I believe God is often saying, show me your faith and I will show you my faithfulness. And I say this because over and over in the Bible, it says when Jesus saw their faith. How do you see faith? You see faith in action. You see, God wants us to participate in the miracle. In the New Testament, there's a guy with a withered hand. What does Jesus say to him? Stretch out your hand. In other words, I can heal you, but I want to see you believe it. I want to see you participate in it. I want to see your faith. Another time, there's a guy his whole life, he couldn't walk. Jesus looks at him and says, get up, pick up your mat and walk. I'm going to heal you, but I'm not going to pick you up. I want to see you have the faith to believe that what I say is true, so get up. There was a guy who was blind from birth. Jesus goes up, he picks up some dirt, he spits in it. Then he rubs it, makes it into mud, and he puts it on the guy's eyes. Let's call it what it is. It's nasty, right? But it worked. Jesus says, go wash your eyes in the pool of Siloam. In other words, I'm going to do my part, but I want you to do yours. You show me your faith, I'll show you my faithfulness. Friends, without faith, it's impossible to please God. It takes faith to let go of our plans and faith To pick up God's plans. And you don't want to miss out on something incredible because you're holding on to something too tightly like a little child with his blankie. Something that makes you feel secure. Man, God's plan for your life is way bigger than your plan. We serve a God who can do exceedingly and abundantly more than all we can ask, think, or imagine. Jeremiah 29, verse 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Don't allow where you're at to block where you're headed. Man, let go of your plan to make way for God's plans. And don't wait for something to happen. Make something happen. Take a step of faith. I know a lot of people that are like, man, I want my kids to serve Jesus. I want my kids to be strong Christians. I want our family to serve Christ. But yet they never open up the Bible in their own home to share God's word or to read, just to read the Bible with their kids. Or they never pray with their children or pray as a family. They don't lead by example. Man, you do something. You put your faith into action. I know a lot of single guys, and they're like, man, I want a wife. God, send me a wife. But then they're just home sitting on their butt, waiting for some smoking babe to knock on the door, carrying a Bible, saying, hey, you big stud, take me to church or lose me forever. Now, you get off the Xbox, you make yourself presentable, you be the kind of man that a God-honoring woman would want in her life. Man, you be that kind of person that you want to find. You take action. Like Elisha. Man, if there's anything in our lives that may be keeping us from doing what God is calling us to do, we need to get rid of it. We need to have a little plow burning faith. And that doesn't necessarily mean we all have to give up everything to follow God. It doesn't mean that we have to resign from our jobs or give all our money away. The point is, there should be no area that is off-limit to God. We need to stand up and say, I'm not going to let something keep me from doing what God is calling me to do. I'm not going to let something keep me from being all that God is calling me to be. You see, sometimes we have to say no to what we want in life to say yes to what God wants. God's plan is bigger And better than money. It's bigger and better than being popular and being accepted. Man, you don't miss out on it because of greed. You don't miss out on it because of pride. You burn that plow. Man, if there's sin holding you back, burn the plow. If there's doubt, In your life, you burn the plow. Stop doubting. God doesn't call people to do things without equipping them to do it. God has given you everything you need to do everything that he wants you to do. If there's fear in your life, you burn the plow. You don't stay in the boat when God's calling you to walk on the water. Where scripture ends with, then he set out to follow Elijah and became his attendant. And you guys already know the rest of the story. We talked about it at the beginning. He went on to lead a life of ridiculous faith. And God may be calling you to something even greater. First Corinthians chapter two verse nine says, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. Let's stand up for closing prayer. Let's bow our heads. Well, dear God, we we thank you for your word that leads us and inspires us and teaches us that your way is far greater than ours. Help us to set aside anything that interferes with what you're doing or what you're calling us to do. God, give us strength to be bold. Give us the desire to be courageous. Show us the steps to be ridiculous in our faith. And cast out any ideas that The evil one plants in our head when Satan says, we aren't good enough, we aren't strong enough. Empower us to stand up and say, Jesus Christ is. And with him, all things are possible. So if there's anyone here today that has not put their faith in Jesus Christ and you'd like to take that step today, I invite you to pray this this prayer after me. You can say it in your heart, you can say it out loud with the rest of us, but if you're ready to begin a life of ridiculous faith, Repeat these words after me. Dear God, I admit that I am a sinner and I ask for your forgiveness for the things I've done. I believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins and rose from the dead to bring me new life. I confess him now as my Lord and Savior. I commit my life to Him. I welcome the Holy Spirit into my life to guide me from this day forward. In Jesus' name, amen.